should the state be meddling with the life of civil society? And therefore, should the state actually tamper with culture or should society in itself dictate the culture and should the state adapt to society? I'm Ismael Pai Civico and this is The Civic Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome again to the Civic Podcast. So as you can see today, I would like to go a bit through the idea, can you actually legislate culture? Because of course we all know that culture derives from legislation in some way and at the same time legislation influences culture. So my question is a bit is getting into the dilemma, was it the chicken or the egg? Well, first of all, of course it was culture that started. I mean, because in, in, in a modern sense, legislation is, is quite modern. It is quite recent and before that it was mainly culture that allowed societies to organize themselves and to interact with each other and to actually work and become successful uh, in most ways and then after that we started with the qualifications of laws and legislation and governments and democracy etc 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 but before that it was always culture that actually allowed us to interact with each other to work with each other um, and to create let's say up until today the society that we have all throughout history and the whole idea now, of course, like we are seeing throughout the culture wars, it's called the culture war for a specific reason. It's because there are two, there's a big clash of cultures within Western society in itself, um, not just necessarily with other cultures from around the world, but mainly within our own territory in some ways. We have on one side the social justice movement in some way where we can interpret in, in different manners. I've heard good cases for social justice. I mean, one really good person to speak about this is Russell Brand. Uh, which he actually gives the right definition on what is social justice. It's a, it's a, um, well, it's a fundamental idea of the left is to fight for the dispossessed because they're in situations that were out of their control and, um, well, they've been wronged by the system that we have today, whether you might call it capitalism or the free market or or anything of the sort. So of course there are flaws to these kinds of systems and that is essentially what social justice means. But the issue that today social justice has got a completely different connotation or a different meaning given to it is essentially saying that you're in a specific situation, not specifically because of the of the current situation now, but of how we perceive human interaction and in another word, power dynamics. And of course with the same narrative oppressor and oppressed that if you are in a specific situation it's not necessarily, I mean, it can't be because of a specific choice you made, but it's essentially because society is oppressing you willingly, of course, uh, and that there is no way to actually go around that. And the only way to for society to stop oppressing you is by completely uh, demolishing everything that we've built until today and build a whole new brand society. And of course, nobody has tried that in the past and uh, it most probably will work. Um, that of course was sarcasm. Everyone has tried it. A lot of people have tried it before. That where that's where the utopia comes in. The whole new world, the brand new world, we're going to build together. And that's on one side of the spectrum. And then the other side of the spectrum, where I consider myself to be more like, is that we acknowledge there are some issues that need to be um, dealt with in today's society. That we need to say, okay, how can this be? How come there are so many homeless people, for example? How come there are still a lot of people living in poverty how come famine is so ravaging uh, big parts of africa um how come people st 
still can't even afford uh, basic necessities as can, as can be electricity, for example, or water, or hot water, gas, etc., or energy. Um, how can people can't afford, uh, well, a mode of transportation? Because nowadays you need, need to, well, you need mode of transportation, especially uh, in urban areas or in rural areas, more like everywhere, essentially. Nowadays, you either need to get on public transport, you need a car, you need a bike, you need something, and people still can't afford to have a car or to pay for public transport. It depends on the countries, of course. I mean, in Belgium, it's very, very cheap now, especially for students or, again, for workers, it is quite kind of expensive, but it goes from country to country. So that's a bit of the idea that we still know that there are some flaws nowadays that, that need to be dealt with, but in the correct manner, not on how some people want to deal with these issues uh, with their, let's say, uh, utopistic uh, ideas that think that are going to work. And that at the same time that the West or Western society has done some good, th some good things in the past and that's why we can thrive in today's society and we actually live in a very secure, quite equal in consideration, taking historical, uh, historic context into consideration and taking into consideration everything that's happening all around the world, right? So we still have come a long way. We've done a lot of progress in the past 150 years even, uh, or in the past 60 years or even second since the Second World War, we could see how much poverty there was in between the First World War, Second World War, uh, and then after that, of course, there was an enormous boom and, well, society started thriving, the economy started thriving, and that's how we saw essentially that society could also advance when the economy goes well and people, the standards of living keep increasing every single day. So that, that's a bit my position, that we know there's still a long way to go. Uh, we know we need to have some enormous changes in legislation, people need more jobs, uh, we need to adjust to inflation, we need to be able to pay for basic necessities essentially. And that's a bit of the culture war we are seeing today in the West, is this clash between these two groups. Um, and of course, again, you can add even a third group, which is the right-wing totalitarians or populists in some way, or populism, you can find it everywhere, left, right, up and down. Populism is a very specific thing that isn't necessarily um, attached to one specific side of the political spectrum, even though I don't like speaking about the political spectrum. But for purposes of, um, well, to be comprehensive in some way, I'm going to speak about the left and right in, uh, in, very, in, in various manners. So the idea now is how can actually the state legislate culture? And what I mean by culture is I'm going to bring all the things that actually society that society does, whether it's in when it comes to hobbies, when it comes to work, when it comes to social interaction in itself. We can speak about prostitution, maybe we can speak about pornography, we can speak about uh, drugs, all these kind of things that actually society does, which does form part of the culture, can you actually legislate against that? And well, in theory, you can, of course, I mean, you, you can legislate against everything or for everything in, in some way or another, you can prohibit things, you can allow things. Um, you can change things, you can insert more money into this, you can insert less money into that. All that is, of course, doable. Now, the actual question is, is it actually intelligent to do that or should governments do that? Because you see now with governments coming into power and they change completely everything the previous government did. So, of course, how can you actually do a long-term plan if you have one government that comes for four years, they change everything that the previous government did. So, of course, you need to start from zero all over again, where it can be, for example, education laws that in Spain they've passed, I don't know how many education laws, and each time the education has to get redone. So, how can something build if each time you have to demolish it and start uh, from, well, bottom up, essentially, and start from the ground? So, that's essentially the question. And the issue nowadays is that before, essentially, or the way I, I, the way I interpret it or the way I see it, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, even 20 years ago, as a, as a matter of fact, um, in a general manner, the right and the left and different political parties agreed on the national culture. They agreed on things that were 
needed, right? And then after that, they can legislate on small things. They can build on top of each other. Uh, you have a, well, financial crash. Okay, you need to start inserting maybe a, bit, a little bit more money in the economy, have a short-term inflation for then at the same time, people actually have money to spend and then rebuild the economy throughout in different ways. Again, these are economic uh, policies that can help after a crisis. Or if you have big crisis when you have for animal rights, for instance, right? You can you can also try to adapt to that, or if at the EU level there's something that's been agreed, you can adapt to that through each government. Again, you are there to govern. You are there to make society work in some way through that, with help of legislation and those public institutions, public infrastructure, have better roads, right? If you need to, do, need to redo a road every X amount of years so people can actually get to work, or, or improve um, uh, public transport, public health, education, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, improve something doesn't mean demolish it. Again, we come back to the big legislation changes that have been happening in Spain. So this is a bit what I mean by changing the culture and that each time culture is not, of course it's mobile, it's, it's never stable, it's never stagnant, but you can't change it every four years. So people now need to start asking the question, are we actually going to agree on what makes a culture, what makes a specific country? Or are we just going to start change everything depending on our ideology or on what we perceive as being the best culture forward? Um, I'm going to take one short example. Let's take um, drugs and then we can get into pornography or into prostitution. So drugs, for instance, it's purely cultural. It's something that's uh, recreational. It's people that use people. People do drugs for well, various reasons, lots of reasons, reasons that I can't even get into because you need to get into very deep psychology to do that uh, specifically. But people do drugs, that's just the fact, that's the truth. For me specifically, the consumption of drugs should not be criminalised, right? Now, that's easier said than done, of course, because then you have specific countries that have indeed legalised, let's say, marijuana, for example. And some things have gone better, some things have gone worse. For example, in the Netherlands, of course, they've legalised marijuana. In some ways, I mean, there's there are like uh, legal loopholes in some place. So I don't know what it was, but I think you can't import it. You can't make it grow, but you can sell it and you can consume it. It's, it's, it's very odd, uh, the kind of things they do. Of course, in practice, it's legal uh, to put it that way. So let's not get into too much detail. But then again, you have big issues with a lot of other things. Like right now, gang violence in, in, the, in, in the Netherlands has been rising quite a bit, but nobody has been speaking about it. Or the consumption of other drugs has been rising quite a bit too. Same thing, uh, Portugal, I think, was one of the first countries that did it a, f a few years back. And I think that was really good. They decriminalized the consumption of drugs. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't, you shouldn't decriminalize, you should, sorry, decriminalize the, the selling and distribution or even production of drugs, especially when it comes to hard drugs. I think we need to differentiate a bit what is um, marijuana in some way and then what is like heroin, uh, cocaine, uh, crack cocaine um, and all and all that kind of meth etc 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 there is a there is a differentiation to make but the way i see it the people that consume drugs are mostly victims uh, more than anything else right not in every single case but in the vast majority they are so i don't think that should be criminalized nor penalized in some way in the penal code um so that's really culture wise so what i mean by that is if you want to change the culture, in a sense, the culture of consuming drugs when you're out partying, that needs to be done from the ground and not necessarily from a state level. Because if you start imposing things, the well, best case scenario, there will be some opposition, but worst case scenario is just going to destroy everything. It's like when you have a parent, right? Uh, parenting is not easy. You need to, you can't be too strict, but you can't be too laxed either. You need to have it a little bit in between. When it comes to government, it's a bit the same thing. You need to leave the space for people to organize themselves and to understand exactly what is the best way to interact with each other. 
but then again, if you come directly with the hammer or ready to swing the sword when someone well makes a mistake or or, or do, does something wrong in some way, there's going to be a lot of wariness. Um, in this society in itself, it's going to be a lot of opposition, it's going to be a lot of violence created all throughout that. So culture in itself needs to be changed from 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 the ground up, right? People need to understand, through education, for example, to understand that drugs are not good for you, and they need to understand it from themselves. They need to take their own choice within themselves to say, okay, I'm not going to do drugs. It's not something that is beneficial necessarily for me. And that's just... In a nutshell, what I think a bit about the drug issue right now is shouldn't, it shouldn't be criminalized by, by, by governments, the consumption of it, not the selling, distribution or production of those drugs, but the, um, but the consumption should not be criminalized, right? Uh, you can have some sort of fine maybe or depending on the amount you have on because of course, if you get stopped in, on the street with, I don't know, with a kilogram of weed, you're not going to say, oh no, it's for personal consumption. No, it's not. That's that's literally intention to sell and distribute, right? Uh, you're not going to fool anyone like that. So of course it's easier said than done, but these are specific things I need to start changing. So for example, pornography. Um, pornography, in another instance, um, again, I haven't done my research in total, but from what I can see, it's nothing beneficial for society in lots of different ways. And of course, this is a big opposition in all, all sides of the, of the political spectrum. I mean, you have right-wingers are mostly libertarians that will say, oh, pornography, people should be, should be allowed uh, to consume pornography. Uh, mainly liberals are also on that same side. Then you have on the left side uh, of the aisle, on, of the political aisle, that you have the abolitionists, for example, the feminist abolitionists, I say, okay, pornography is, uh, is, is really bad. You need to abolish it. Um, it objectifies the woman. It doesn't teach young people how to actually have sex or how to please their partner. Uh, it's something that is not beneficial for society in its whole, right? So a bit, you can't really say the right is against pornography and the left is for pornography because again, it really depends on the on the political party and the political ideas that they have forward and what they think about the freedom of the individual, if you might want to call it freedom, but I think freedom does involve some sort of constraint. So let's take pornography. I don't think pornography should be illegal. I mean, some countries have done it. I think uh, Singapore has done it illegal. Maybe it's illegal in Singapore. I think it's illegal in China most probably. It's illegal in Bangladesh. No, sorry, not Bangladesh, um, Thailand, was it? I, I can't remember, don't take my word for it. But in, in, in any case, there are some countries that have done pornography illegal, right? You cannot access it on the internet um, or anything of the sort. Now, again, I did say that pornography is not something that is beneficial for society, but I also said that it should not be legislated at the state level or even at the local level, regional level, however way you might want to interpret that. So the only reason um, you should, well, the only way you can actually start the change of culture to people to stop consuming pornography or stop making pornography in some way is through education, is through actually telling people, okay, uh, do you actually know what this entails? You know what pornography does to your, to your brain, psychologically speaking, does it, what it does to your to your, to your intimate relationships. Look, there was a friend that he, he told me something about one of his friends and I have no reason not to believe him because there have been cases like this, right? He used to consume pornography so much that at some point it came that when he had to have sexual intercourse with his partner, he had to be watching pornography at that time. If not, he wouldn't be able to have sexual intercourse with his partner. And that has come to a, I mean, that's like the, that's like the pinnacle of, of the problems that you can actually uh, arrive to with pornography in itself. That and so many other issues, uh, you can become a social, big addiction to it, uh, erectile problems, for example. You can have lots of issues, especially with the overconsumption of it. 
but again, it's not something that should be legislated on a state level. You need to understand that from a ground from the ground level because again if you lay it on the on the state level you, you, you always have the argument especially with drugs also or when it comes to pornography well uh, if it's illegal people will still do it people will still consume it especially when it comes to prostitution again that's the same kind of bubble uh if you legislate against it people will still do it people will not have the well the necessary infrastructure to well to practice for example prostitution uh in a safe space and that People can be free to do it, of course, because it's their choice, it's their body. And fair enough, I do agree with that. That's the thing. So on a political level, I'm, I'm, I'm very liberal, very libertarian in that sense that everyone can have the choice to do whatever they want with their body. You can do essentially whatever you want. Now, if it's a good idea or not, that's a different question. And that needs to be left to the culture. That's the culture where it comes in and decides, okay, how good is this? That's what academia, well, that's what academia used to be, essentially, teachers, uh, people in, in the academic realm used to say, okay, we have this in society, we have this in culture, how bad is it or how good is it? Should we change it? And then people start having debates, public discourse, okay, this is good, this is bad, uh, I think we should have this, I think we should have that, etc. But it didn't come from the state level. It's all the time the society that needs to come together, speak, have a discussion, say, okay, how is this? Is it beneficial for us? If it isn't, what do we do about it? It's been a grand consensus. I'm not speaking about 50 plus one consensus, I'm speaking about a majority a big consensus in society, 80, 90, 95% of society that agrees that this is bad. And then when that comes, actually you can start asking for political implication or even legislation at that point when everyone agrees that this is something bad for society. Because if you start applying, again, I was gonna use the term authoritarian, but I wouldn't take it in that way because again, if it's in a democracy, it wouldn't be authoritarian because of course it's a democracy and those are, are well, they're, they're not compatible in, in lots of ways. But if you start imposing legislation that goes directly against the culture in itself, it will bring only conflict and violence and misery within the population itself because it won't be able to adapt to that specific change. Let's take another example when it comes to culture. This is purely cultural. When it comes to in, um, inclusive language, right? So for example, in French, it is extremely difficult to have it it's easier in English because you have names that are for both genders and for everyone and words. And in English, it is quite easy to write in an inclusive manner. For example, in French or in Spanish or in more Latin, well, languages derived from the Latin language, it is a lot more difficult. And I, I mean, you, you see that from emails uh, from university, from institutions, uh, in letters, absolutely everywhere. They're trying to use this all the time. And then of course, when it comes to reading, uh, I mean, yeah, you can say Ismail, well, you can uh, you can make some effort, it's, it, it's, it's for the greater good. But again, language is something purely cultural. Language has evolved throughout time and words have evolved, grammar has evolved, conjugations have evolved in order for people to be able to communicate the best way possible. Language was never imposed by the state in itself. And this is something that has been happening in a lot of places. I mean, a few years back with Bill C-16 in Canada, people were saying, were telling people how to speak through legislation in itself. So you can't tell people how to speak through legislation. That's not how it works. That's not how culture works. Culture needs to be in a consensus within civil society. That's the only way we can actually society can strive together, work together and build something for the common good and what the common good might be that's something a bit more difficult to define because of course all politicians use this is for the common good but then again it never is for the common good it's for their own good and the good for that elite political class uh, that you can see all around europe but in any case taking that apart um that's the way that's really what i wanted to come at is when it comes to you can't really legislate these changes of culture when it comes to language when it comes to prostitution when it comes to uh drug use 
when it comes to pornography. All these are cultural matters that with a well-informed, good, rigid cultural tissue, let's say, or cultural network or a good amount of education and people actually educated and cultivated, they will understand that pornography is not good, that the consumption of good of, of drugs is not good, that exercising in prostitution is not good. I mean, consuming prostitution um, in, in, in that sense. You doing prostitution yourself because you want to work in that, that's each and everyone to their own choice. Again, it's not a specific choice I would make or or anyone I think with common sense would in some way. But then again, you can say it's their body, you can do as you want, and that's you're, you're free to do that, but I'm also free to decide not to agree with that or not to want to consume it or not wanting to be on your side because I think there is a different philosophy to that and there is a, there is something a bit more to it, especially when it comes to sexual intercourse. There's something a bit lot more intimate and... In any case, we can speak about sex on, on, on another um, uh, another episode. I'm, there's not an episode for that. This mainly when it comes to cultural changes in itself and how essentially political parties are literally wanting to change the culture by themselves. They want to legislate the culture. And that's really where it becomes dodgy. Culture should be done naturally through society. And that's again when it comes to uh, multiculturalism, multiculturality, sorry, uh, more like. So I spoke about this before. Multiculturality in a sense is a fallacy, right? Because a culture, and let me develop this before you start, you jump out of the chair and say, how can you say that multiculturality is a fallacy? I mean, we, we live in Europe, we, we see everywhere, and of course we see everywhere, but a specific definition of it, not the pure definition of multiculturality, which is that all cultures can coexist together in harmony and in peace in some way. Uh, cultures are generally delimited by geographical circumscriptions, um, when it's a municipality, regional, national, continental level, right? We always speak about the European culture, the Spanish culture, French culture, German culture, and then you can go, you can break that into even uh, in, into regions where they have Bavaria in, uh, in Germany, they have their very own specific culture, or you go to Spain, you have Catalonia, they have their very own specific culture, and the Lucia, their own specific culture. In the UK, Yorkshire has their culture, right? So this is easier said than done. You have different levels of culture, and of course, the more you go up, uh, the more abstract it becomes. The more you go into detail, the more specific things start defining their own culture. Okay, so what I mean by multiculturality being a fallacy, do it in, in, in simple terms, is that culture is, is, is a mass of different things. It's a mass of the way you interact with each other. It's a mass of the general laws and principles, the unwritten laws and principles that you have with each other. Uh, it's how you perceive different groups of people. Um, it's how you perceive different rights for different groups of people. Uh, and then, of course, then you have these are the fundamentals, let's say, of an underlining uh, culture. And then you have, of course, what you eat, how you dress, uh, who your god is. Um, yeah, essentially that, or how, or just your general uh, customs when it comes to weddings or to anything else, right? So the thing is, the first ones I stated, right? So everything that makes a society be able to work with each other those things need has to be a common agreement between everyone that lives in society in itself. Because if we don't agree on the fundamentals, on how we interact with each other, on how we see each other, on what rights we think or we know or everyone should have, right? That everyone should have equal rights, regardless of the skin color, their gender, sexual orientation, religion, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, we need to agree on those fundamentals. If a specific culture comes and say, we don't agree on those fundamentals, that is not going to work because of course you have a very very different philosophy of life and those two will not be able to harmonize or to work together in order to create a better society and to build together uh when it comes to other things when it comes to very trivial matters in some way i mean it's, it is quite trivial what you eat how you dress 
your customs, uh, how you do your weddings, uh, who, who you pray to, whether you pray in a mosque, whether you pray in a church, or whether you pray in a synagogue, those things are quite secondary because it becomes like really into your private life, what you do with your own life, and that everyone should be able to do whatever they want with their own life. They can dress in however way they want. Uh, if it, it goes in accordance with their culture and they want to dress like that, free for them. If you want to eat something else, that's free for them. And they can do whatever they want in that sense. And that's what I mean by multiculturality in its purest sense is a fallacy because, of course, multiple cultures that have very, very different life philosophies will not be able to coexist together in some specific way. We need to agree on the fundamentals of society and how we want to interact with each other. And then after that, everyone can go back home and eat whatever they want on their own, uh, at their own table. But I've spoken about this before, but I guess you understand a bit the general, general manner. And culture needs to come from civil society. Culture cannot be imposed by the state. And when the state starts meddling or tampering with the culture, that is become that then becomes dodgy waters because if someone goes against the culture where at the beginning it was his culture, he will be considered as a dissident. And at that point, uh, you will not have any more, any public discourse, any, or even peaceful discourse. It will also become conflict and violence uh, when the state starts meddling with those kind of things. So then you can say, okay, well, when it comes to Jim Crow, for example, in the US, that's also purely cultural, right? Because um, really it was a white society that was oppressing uh, the black society. So that was part of the American culture or the white American culture. And that, at that point, you needed legislation to change that culture. So let me um, speak about this uh, in a sec, because I actually did think about this and it, it, it is a good claim to make. That was a point where legislation had to come into play to actually start legislation, legislating for culture, right? To make it fairer, to make a fairer society for everyone in the United States in itself. The only problem with that is that the legislation that was put on at that specific point in time wasn't necessarily for the the whole of the American population. The only issue at that point is that it was only for one part of the American population, which was the white American population. And again, that doesn't define culture. Culture defines the whole of society in itself. And if you arbitrarily um, detach a big part of that society, it does not become culture anymore. You can go about the white culture, but you can't speak about the American culture because American culture has every single group that lived in the United States at that point. So in that sense, it wasn't really culture. Uh, but then we can debate again. Of course, it was a white American culture, but it wasn't the American culture. That's the thing. The American culture involves everyone in that specific space. And at that point is where you needed court, uh, legislation to come in and legislate saying, okay, um, redlining, racial segregation, Jim Crow is wrong. We need to abolish that. That's what happened through the civil rights movement in the 60s. And then again, now we all have the same rights and hopefully we can start working together and build a better society together. So that's when legislation had to come in. And in order, of course, for culture to be able to strive in itself and be able to advance, whether it's uh, through language, whether it's through hobbies, for example, or whatever sport you play or what you eat, there has to be equal rights for everyone at the state level, which I am, well, I think we can safely say that we've achieved that to some extent in the West and that we should be quite kind of proud of what the West has done in order to achieve that. So that's the point where I want to come is to think a bit, all the changes need to come from society. All the changes need to come from a grassroots level. The state cannot come and start to say, okay, you need to change this because that's the best way and it's for the greater good. That is how culture should be. No. The state is a very, very small part of society in itself. All society is civil society. All society is the people at the bottom, people with their small shop, people that have, I don't know, that, the bin men, the, the workers, um, the, the old lady that you see walking her dog. Those are the people that need to change the culture within themselves. 
bit by bit. And then the state needs to adapt because the state is there to serve the people. It's there to adapt the needs through legislation uh, of maybe counter for economic issues, social issues, um, and so on, or even political issues in that sense. So that's where I wanted to come at. Let's change culture from a grassroots level. Don't legislate culture through politics. It's not the best way forward. Uh, but then again, that's what's happening today with the culture wars. So what do we do? And again, I really don't know. I don't have an answer. I don't have a specific answer to that. The only answer I, I can actually give, start speaking. Speak up, speak with other people, inform yourself, have discussions, have conversations. Don't be afraid to ask questions uh, and keep on like that. Well, actually, um, well, I'm, I'm finishing uh, on, on that final note, but I actually recorded another episode the other day, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll maybe post that next week in, uh, in some way, or maybe redo it. It was specifically about that you can ask questions and you can be wrong. That's no, there's no problem asking questions and making mistakes and then apologizing. We need a bit more trust within, our, within people, especially when it comes to culture. We need trust within a culture in order to build together and work together. And we need to be able to forgive and we need to actually ask for forgiveness. Those are the few things that are needed nowadays. So in that case, again, Feel free to go and check on our website, all the episodes that we have there, all the articles, which is civicspace.org. And then after that, uh, we'll see each other again next week. I'm Ismail Pai Civico, and this was the Civic Podcast.